Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. The 2020 Dacia sales event is now on at Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. Call in to see how shockingly affordable a new Dacia is in the new year. You're very welcome to Wednesday afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. And just reminding you, there's only a week to go. You must have your Christmas puddings in by this day next week. Yes, it's back this year on Late Lunch, the best Christmas pudding in the Northeast competition. Get them into us, whole puds, half puds, good big slices that we can taste them. Whatever you feel is appropriate, send them into us here on LMFM Radio. And the winner will be announced on Friday the 20th, picked by our Women With Opinions. You'll have the title, the honour of it, and a massive hamper for the winner as well. So all you pudding people, I hope they're on the way. I know they're on the way. I'm full of confidence. It's great every year, and it'll be brilliant again this year. Welcome to the show. Let me tell you about my first guest today. She came to Ireland from China in 2004 with just €600 Euro and a bunch of CVs in her bag. She knew no one and had to make her own way. Subsequently, she married, had children, educated herself, and today she's a financial advisor with Drogheda-based Capital Masters. Judy Lee, you're very welcome to Late Lunch. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you for joining me. Where are you from originally in China? Uh, I'm from north side, northeast of China, a city called Dalian. Yeah, that's and where I come from. Are you a typical one-child Chinese family, the yes. policy the government had? Yeah. Yes. You know China a lot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. since 1979, and then government to have this policy, one-child policy. So my parents um, only have me. Yeah. You're precious. They love you to bits. I know this. And I love lots of uh, siblings. Um, just like I'm not able to have. Yes. You know. is, is that a regret? Yes. One one really um, regret through my life so far. I will. I wish to have some siblings, brother or sisters. I know some of my friends, they have siblings, which um, they helped each other, gone through the difficulty of lives, which is uh, very precious. Yeah, I think siblings are the gift uh, from parents to mm. their children. Mm. That poli- has that policy changed in China today? I think since 2016 they changed. Uh, now you're allowed to have two. Okay. <laughs> there you go. They've doubled. It's 100% up. Yes, yeah. of course. Yeah. My God, we there, have to have people there, that. <laughs> there are so many millions and billions in China. Just think now if you double the birth rate, what that will be in the future. Huge population. Yes. To come. <laughs> 
Anyway, there's just you, your mum and dad. What did your mum and dad do in China? Uh, my mum and dad works in a factory in China. So uh, my, my father actually uh, factory workers. I'm a mum and drive, uh, I think, as... Um, you know the ho- hoist, hoist yes. to lift the the, yes. the heavy things in yes. the factory. So basically, they work in the factory. And and did you have a, a home, an apartment? Where did you live? Was it big? Was it small? Uh, we have small apartment in uh, China. Yeah, okay. very small one bedroom apartment. So I was gone, uh, I was living a, a, a small apartment uh, until like I'm going to university in, in in China. So I don't have my bed, a sleeping sofa, <laughs> even for one child. <laughs> so that's it. Sofa yes. was your bed while you lived with your mom and dad in the apartment. Yes. My yes, oh my. Yes. Um, so you mentioned university. You went to university in Dandong and you studied computers. Computer studies, was it? Yeah, yeah. computer system management. I mm. think it's the, it's the science. And you learned English. Yes. Well, I, I, st- I started learning English when I was in middle school in China. So wasn't as good. My, my godmom always complains that when you first time come to talk to me and I don't know, I don't understand what you talk, um, uh, in English. Um, it's still like sometimes, even still now, and when I talk English, I have this Chinese, you know, logic behind. People mm. sometimes didn't understand what I'm talking. Well, you're <laughs> strange, right? Perfectly understandable to me and everybody else listening today. Let uh, me you're say, you're very smart and very kind. <laughs> Not at all. So, the English aspect of your studies there, there was a tutor there that suggested to you. Am I right that you should look at travelling and that Ireland might be a good place to go? Yes, um, uh, luckily, well, I met one of uh, my very important tutor when I was on the last year of my um, middle school. So she's basically a PhD student from Harvard. So it, and then I I become a very good friend with her, and she. And then I go into university in China. Then she, she, I keep contact with her all the time. So she, she suggests when I said, Oh, um, Vanessa, uh, her name is Vanessa. Um, I want to go abroad. I want to see what's look like outside of China. So she said, in your family situation, the best place you go is Ireland because you're allowed to study and working. And so you can support your own study in Ireland. That's what I'm coming. So you came here then, as I mentioned, in 2004. Was it difficult to leave China? Were there any restrictions and was it easy enough to come in here, you know, with all the paperwork, etc.? Well, I have uh, applied twice uh, about visa. First one, um, I didn't graduate from university, but then the first time I've been refused. And the second time I, I, I applied again through an agency and then finally I got the visa, which I'm very happy. <laughs> Great stuff. But you come here with little money, knowing nobody, and you have to establish yourself and, and find your way. Was that very difficult? It was very difficult. You're right. Mm. <laughs> it, it was very difficult. But then, um, luckily, um, on the first day, I went to church and I met all those friends, um, knew many people, I knew the priest, I got a lot of uh, Irish friends. You know, Irish are very kind and then they really treat the foreigners uh, sometimes, like Chinese culture, they treat the foreigners better than their own people <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> That's an opinion you formed, obviously, uh, being here with us. But yeah. just mentioning the church, were you practicing, you're a Catholic? Uh, Catholic? Yes, I am. Did yeah. you? Were you 
you, were your parents, were you practicing Catholic in China? No, they're not. Not yeah. allowed. I just met my God um, in Ireland on the first day. Okay. <laughs> right. So you just really came to the church on the day you arrived here? Yes, the first day. I went to uh, Dublin City Centre trying to find a job with my uh, CVs, trying to find a job. So then there's no shop open. I didn't know it was Sunday. <laughs> 2004. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I went to uh, Trinity just for a tour. And then when the time come out, I saw a priest wear those green gowns, re- really different looking. So I was interested. I went to the church, talked to the, the choir, and they're Asian looking. So I thought they're Chinese. So I was talking with them and then joined the choir from very first day. <laughs> and the rest is history. You're now a devout Catholic. Yes. Yes, I, I understand that. Isn't it an amazing story? So you come here, you find work. I know you worked in cleaning, home care, child care, etc. But yeah. you went, this was a significant moment. You wanted to further your education. You went to DCU. Yes, I got um, an offer for DCU. I did e-commerce, master degree on e-commerce in DCU. That's where I met my late husband as well. <laughs> Now, I'm sure listeners have caught the gist of that. Your late husband, Yurong Liu, was your yes, husband's name. Yes. Was he from a different part of China? Uh, yeah, she's from south side of China. And um, it wasn't love at first sight. He was very keen on you, but you sort of were <laughs> a little bit uncertain. Is that fair? Yes, they're very good. You, you sense everything, you know, uh, as l- every like love story starts, um, he is really interesting to me, and I wasn't very keen on him. But then he, he proved himself is a good, stable uh, boy. So then uh, uh, we married after the graduation. He was a PhD student uh, in DCU at the time, so okay. we have many opportunity to meet for lunch, for example. <laughs> so. So then, you married yeah. in 2010 in St. Andrew's Church yes, in, in yes, Dublin. Yes, we were lucky. Uh, and within a year, you, you give birth to a daughter. Yes, yes. 2011, my daughter was born. And a son followed, was it the following year? 12? Yeah, 2012. Uh, yeah. So there's your dream come true. <laughs> yeah, we, got, we even got Irish twins, right? <laughs> <laughs> you have two children and you yeah. have now a boy and a girl, a brother and sister, which you never had the, the yeah. fortune to have. So you, yeah. you have your two children. But it's nearly at that stage after your son is born that your husband, is is it a little after that he begins to feel unwell? Actually, um... Or before it? Before. When I was seven months pregnant, my husband was in hospital. Okay. So um, he got like, um, he he drained out like two liters of fluid from his lung. lung. At the time, uh, uh, the hospital didn't um, diagnose with his uh, disease until uh, like when when my son born three months after he was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. So... So there you are with two small children and your husband is facing this battle for his life. And and we have to say that that's what it is. So stage four lung cancer. Yes. Your world must have been shattered with that. I was shocked. Uh, I still remember the moment when I received the diagnosis of my husband's disease. I was, and then I we, we we went to the like uh, Panal Street for uh, lunch. Then I, I I was kind of just lost all all my like uh, um, 
thought, and my purse was lost. And then I was standing in the middle of the street, and my tears coming down without any tension, you know. And then I didn't know what I can do in that situation.、Um, my husband, I even didn't finish my maternity leave with two young children, and then my husband. Can't go into work, and I didn't know what's the future like. And we are both foreigners in the country, so、um, it's 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 quick,、um, very very shocked, like earthquake in my、mm, life at、oh, that time. Oh, oh, so understandable to get that news, as you say, because there's just yourselves and the children, and you don't have immediate family here. I know you have friends and the church、mm. people, and that as well, and colleagues at work. He was a brave man because he got back to work, didn't he? Even with the diagnosis. Well,、uh, yes, he was much brave, brave than I was. I was、um, hopeless. I was crying,、uh, like crying all the time. But then he, he, he said, you know, he, he trying to com- comfort me, and he said, "It's,、uh, it doesn't matter." And then. Probably will be better without operation because doctor said it's not curable to me, and then、uh, it's no use to to operation anything. So, so、um, I was hopeless. But then he he's still like trying to support me emotionally. So he he was very very good man. I have to say.、Um, Yeah. yeah, he lived for two and a half years, and he went through the various stages of chemotherapy and treatment. In a way, when you knew, and he was with you for another two and a half years, are you ever prepared, or are you still hoping that maybe a miracle will happen? Yes, I did hope a miracle to happen. We we went to different places looking for a miracle. We even going to we looking for solutions everywhere. We going to Lourdes.、Um, Everywhere、uh, looking for miracle, but unfortunately,、um, we don't have the big miracle、um, happened in our life.、Um, my husband can't go into work, so I was end up like working in nursing home for ten months to support the family financially because we at the time、um, we were student, ma- married, young family. We didn't know there is insurance, and we didn't know where we can buy insurance. So.、Um, The family didn't have any financial support at the time, so I I end up like running three places with nurse like a nursing home and then going to hospital with my husband and looking after two kids as well. But then we got um uh my parents-in-law came to Ireland, they helped me to look after my kids, but they don't have. English, they can only stay home. So、um, at the time, I was like working alone and then support a family of six on your own. Oh,、yeah. what a remarkable woman you are! We have to say that、uh, your husband, Yurong, he passed away in September 2015, and he was only 32 years of age. Yes, he, he was, was very, was, very young. It's、man. a it's a, a big loss because、um, himself, he's a postdoc researcher in、uh, in Trinity at the moment. He was very good at his own career,、um, but then the disease just. Kicking into、yes. the young family, and my oh my! You were telling us that you were working to support six people, as it turned out, after your husband passed in 2015. What brought you to Drogheda? Because you were living in Dublin. How did you come here? You know,、um, Dublin is too expensive, expensive to live. So that's why we moved to Drogheda. And at the time, we got a opportunity and、uh, to buy a house. So we. We we moved to, <laughs> and and your husband was with you when you came to to live in Drogheda. Yes, yes. And he's at rest here in Saint Mary's Cemetery. 
now. Yes, yes. Um, so you have roots in in, in Drogheda. What about your children? How, if we talk about from 2015 to today, your children are back in China. Yes, um, temporarily. And yeah, I need somebody to look after my kids like full time. And then I need uh, to work and earn the money as well. So um, for temporarily, my parents is helping me at the moment. And what ages are they now? Uh, my daughter, eight years old and my son, seven. So they know life here and now they've moved back to China. Is that yeah. <laughs> is that difficult for them? Uh, it's a bit difficult, but I encourage them. I said, mom has difficulty. I need your help to do this. My daughter very understand and she is very smart kid. Uh, she made very, my son also made lots of friends locally. She always talking about, could I bring my friends come to China? And then I said, well, don't, don't worry, darling. We will come back on summer holiday and then you're going to meet your friends locally so so uh, she understands with temporarily this is yes. only so needs be this must happen to allow you to continue work Yes. Uh, and I know you're developing your career as well. And what no better people than your mother and father to be looking after your children. Yes, that's very important. Parents are great. Yeah. <laughs> now, you've made huge strides in, in, in your own life, personally and professionally. And um, today you work with Capital Masters in Drogheda and you've yeah. recently qualified... Yes. As a qualified financial advisor. Yes, I did. Yeah. Well, since I, uh, my family hit these difficulties, I also have some friends recently, like Sky, and a very nice Chinese man who passed away, which my friends as well. Um, she, he left two young parent, uh, children as well. So there actually, there is some like young children, especially for Chinese. We come to the country, we don't know, uh, we don't know the financial arrangement here and then we didn't know where we can get the service with. Some of them are not good at English, they didn't understand. So I sense those uh, family need help and that's why I I don't want anybody suffer as what I did. So I think this is very important for the young family, especially have children. Um, so parents have responsibility mm. to have their children like safely happily grow us grow up so that's why i i found this opportunity and i go ahead with that one side as for my own like family to arrange my financial um aids and then i learn it and luckily i passed the all six exams every one of them would fly in colors <laughs> you're a smart cookie as well we know that <laughs> And what a year it's been for you, because I have here sitting beside me uh, an award you received this year. Tell yeah. us about this. Yes, um, uh, in, in the start of this year, 2019, and the Chinese community arranged an international uh, mother, Chinese mother, uh, award, award. So I went first. Um, so they they already um, know my, my about my um, stories, and then they... They give this award to me, so basically like that. Yes, it's a fantastic award, and yeah. it, it says on it, in recognition of your dedication, passion, hard work, and contributions in the 2019 International Mother's Day contest. So you are the winner of this award. Yes, I did. Congratulations <laughs> to you. It's wonderful. Um, down the road, you mentioned, you know, it's a needs be situation at the moment. 
Will you go back to China to the children or will they come here to you? What do you well, uh, what do you? Um, the for, for the future plan, they will come back when they grow up uh, older and they are allowed to do something independently and they will come back to Ireland. To Ireland as well. Yeah. Uh, do you know a guy called Richie and Glenn Dimplex? A guy called Richie, he, uh, he, um, he, he's sending you his best wishes. Did you work ah. in Dunleer? You worked in Dunleer for yes, a time? Yes, I do. Well, I do a part-time job in Glenn Dimplex yeah, as well. Well, well, Richie's listening really? today and Hi, he sends you in his, his real good wishes. Yeah, Richie is one of my best friends in uh, Glenn Dimplex. He is a very good man. He always looking... Looking after me, he bring his uh, uh, scone, which he, he made from home <laughs> to me. Yeah, he visited me when he was at work. But then, Richie, a scone is a way to anyone's heart. I understand that as well. Um, you, you've said at the beginning, at the outset of this conversation, that Irish people have been very kind to you. Yes, I met all of those kindest people. I'm really thankful for them. Without and friends and, and Irish people's help, I couldn't go that far. You know, thank for, uh, thanks for them. If I got an opportunity, I, I will really thanks for everybody who helped us. And yeah, I have to say this. Two things I have to ask you before we finish up. Yeah. Your cuisine from home, Chinese food. Are, are you a good cook? Uh, not that good now. <laughs> I used to be. <laughs> I used to be. What, do you ever avail of Chinese takeaway food in Ireland? Uh, well, I don't really take Chinese takeaway food in here. Don't say any more. That's okay. I understand. It's a bit different to what you'd get at home. I've always understood that anyway. And they're all You're fantastic. Very good. They're all very, very good. understandable. I know. Generally. I know. And, and they, they, they do great business and we love their food as well. The Chinese New Year coming. Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, what a, being a Christian, of course, I, I, you love this time of the year. Yes, I do. Yeah, Christmas in here and then Chinese New Year celebration. So you have different type of uh, festivals. That's mm. the that's the little happy bubbles of your life, you know, for each year. It's fighting. <laughs> you, you, you see, you have more than us because you have Christmas. You enjoy yeah. our traditional New Year. Yeah. And then shortly after that, you have the Chinese. New Year. So yes. You, you're, you're very lucky. What's the symbol for next year's Chinese New Year? Uh, you know? It's the year of rat. The year of the rat next year. Yeah. Okay, interesting. That'll fly along. Let me tell listeners, you brought in a lovely little um, uh, funeral mass uh, pamphlet okay. that you had at your husband's funeral and his pictures on the front of it and he's absolutely beautiful I have to say. And you, you, <laughs> you. you wrote this lovely poem about him as well. Yeah. Farewell to you, Ron. Did you yeah. write this long after he passed? Is this a recent poem or? Um, no, it's a one day after his uh, death and then I, I just r- prepared this poem in Chinese with uh, for for his mass book. Then my godmom read that poem and he's crying. So he said he's so moved and then he, she just uh, translated it into English. So she said I need to let everybody know. And then it's uh, um, the priest uh, my mm. friends, uh, priest friends. So he had this published on a, a Catholic magazine as well. Yeah. So it's, um, I wish I can, you know, help some family. I understand. I re- understand. Re- By telling your story. Yeah. I, you have. I'm sure you have. Listen, yeah. it's a pleasure to meet you on Late Lunch today. Yeah. Congratulations on the award. Well done on, on the work. And we wish your children and your family all the very best. Judy Lee, thank you for joining me on Late Lunch. Thank you, Jerry.
Yes, we're celebrating the festive season all the way on LMFM Radio and this year we have a brand new online station, LMFM Christmas. For all your favourite Christmas hits, simply go to lmfm.ie, click on LMFM Christmas or download the LMFM smartphone app. LMFM Christmas is playing non-stop Christmas hits right now exclusively from LMFM Radio. And don't forget, download that app. It's the easiest way to get in and enjoy those Christmas songs. While we're on the Christmas team, I did tell you, Christmas Cuties coming your way on Late Lunch next week. What we want you to do, we want you to send us videos of your children performing, singing, uh, telling stories, rhymes, name, whatever it is, around the Christmas theme. That's what we're looking for. And you send them in to us on WhatsApp 86 658 or you can email them to uh, latelunch at lmfm.ie. That's latelunch at lmfm.ie. Here's an example of a Christmas cutie. I'm a little turkey. My name is Ted. Here are my feathers and here is my head. Gobble, gobble, gobble is what I say. Quickly run, it's Christmas Day. That's Miss Ava Flynn with one of our little ditties for Christmas. You know what we're looking for, Christmas cuties. Get them to us. WhatsApp 86 658 or late lunch at lmfm.ie. The winning, the most cute, sent in to us this year will win a €250 voucher for Shoes City near Castle Blaney. What a lovely prize that is. The best of luck to you. And if you send them in, remember, we will be using them on our social media. That is the conditions of the competition. Send them in. We'll use them on our social media and play them out here on the air all next week on Late Lunch. Now, moving on on the show today, the Irish border has really come into focus in the context of Brexit. In fact, it's the issue more than most that stymied a deal being done between the UK and the EU. Ireland was partitioned in 19. 1921 with huge implications for many aspects of Irish life which are brilliantly chronicled in a new book called Birth of the Border whose author Cormac Moore joins me now. Cormac you're very welcome to the show. Thank you Jerry. Thank you for joining me. Now look this is first of all may I say I thoroughly enjoyed this book. That's good to hear. Congratulations to to you. you. The first thing that comes to mind after I try to digest it, you know, I'm, I'm listening to the Unionists back then, the Republicans, uh, the Irish government, the British government. Did any of them really want a border? Um, well, no, initially. Um, the Unionists were probably the ones most responsible for creating a border, um, but they wanted uh, all of Ireland to remain uh, within the actual union, so they, they did not because they had a lot of uh, unionists down south as well. So it wasn't like it's not a clear cut cut, as in uh, um, all unionists are up in the northeast, and then the rest, all the nationalist Catholics, are in the uh, um, south and west mm. of the country. So it, it was always going to be a very difficult decision to make. It was always going to be very complex, and uh, so it, it, like events created a border. Um, unionists, well, secondly, unionists did not want uh, to have their own devolved government. They were always fighting against Home Rule, and they were actually the first to get Home Rule with the Northern Ireland Parliament being created. Um, they finally realised, actually, we're actually better off having our own government because they could do what they want, and they did do what they wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, um, it actually benefited uh, Ulster Unionists in the long term, well, it, particularly for the first 50 years yes. of the North. Um, whereas if they, ha- if they had, had remained, the six counties that remained within Westminster, they would not have been able to run Northern Ireland as they did. And positions harden, of course, with time. There was a view as well on the Republican side that this was only a temporary measure, that it yeah, had actually yeah. come back. Um, of course. Now, Sinn Féin 
obviously do not want a border. They, they've always, and, and all Irish nationalists want a united Ireland. Sinn Féin have to take some culpability, though, in terms of how the, the border um, um, you know, uh, transpired. Particularly, I would say, Fermanagh and Tyrone were on the table. Um, even when Northern Ireland was created, um, which was before the treaty negotiations. But Sinn Féin had a trump card in that the British government and unionism did not have um, moral authority um, in terms of there was no plebiscite for Northern Ireland. And if there had been a plebiscite, Tyrone and Fermanagh would have gone in with um, the South. Sinn Féin and did not use their negotiation tactics. Uh, they, look, they weren't as experienced negotiators as obviously the British government. We have to take that into account. But they, they definitely had a stronger card on Ulster than they, than they played. And I, I personally believe that, uh, that the, the, the way the Boundary Commission was uh, set up, being so vague and so ill-defined, that led to the hardening of partition and actually the, the status quo remaining. If Sinn Féin had played their cards right, they would have had a, a, a made sure there was a plebiscite involved, made sure it was very tight. And then Fermanagh and Tyrone were, could definitely have been um, handed over to Wouldn't the South. Wouldn't that be interesting? Yeah, that, yeah. The, that entity would be even much smaller today than, than, than the six counties that we know. And um, there was a belief, and, and, and it comes through, that you know the Nor- you said there, Northern Ireland, the, the entity wasn't legitimate, it was unviable. Uh, in, in the eyes of nationalists, yes. and, but not obviously. No. Un- unionists you know, fully supported it yes. uh, once, once it was created. And they actually tried to move further and further away from Ireland um, as possible after that. And uh, you know, they really did not want, have anything to do with the Irish government. There was very little cooperation from a political and security perspective between both governments for many years after the, the formation of Northern Ireland. I said in the introduction, this is so timely today, but it's a fact. You didn't set out with that timeliness in mind. You started this when, 2015? Well, I started researching this and, um, in 2015, in the autumn of 2015. Now, David Cameron had won the uh, the election of 2015 and promised a uh, um, uh, a referendum um, on Brexit. Um, I, I, don't, I don't even know by that stage how it had been called, but we knew it was coming up. Um, who would have thought at this stage that uh, that actually it still would be the hot topic? <laughs> but when I when I started, I, I actually uh, wrote a book with the hundredth anniversary of Northern Ireland coming up. Like the next few years, there's going to be so many centenary events yes. um, that accompanied the birth of Northern Ireland, um, and that that was kind of the the thinking I had in mind when I was researching the book. Certainly, Brexit was never. Uh, a part of uh, um, my decision making in, 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 in getting the book out right now. <laughs> and you know, when I was just uh, th- contemplating that, you know, when you think of today and the context of this whole argument about Brexit and the border, 10.8 billion, the six counties, is the contribution from the mainland to it. It's a massive sum of money. Well, well from its very outset, uh, Northern Ireland was totally dependent yeah. for funding from the British. Um, although um, Northern Ireland had its own security forces, either through the Specials or through the RUC, they were f- totally, almost totally financed by the British government. Um, Craig said that he needed about about two million pounds a year um, to run security forces. That, that's a lot of money in the early 1920s. But for 1922, when the violence was at its most extreme, particularly the first half, um, the um, th- that was actually do- like almost five million for security alone. And the British government, they, they gave loads of money to the Northern government, they gave loads of uniforms, they supp- uh, supplied some battalions, and they've been propping up the uh, um, uh, Northern government since then. So nothing ha- has changed. I was just looking at the 1921 elections, and in the North, Unionists won 40 of the 52 yeah, seats. All 40 
communist candidates won their seats. Won their seats in yeah, that election. Yeah. And down south, Sinn Féin won 124 out of 128. I think yeah. it was four seats went to Trinity. Exactly. And that's it. Yeah. But that was a non-contested election. All, all seats were yeah. uncontested. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But it just shows you even the polarisation that was happening at that stage. Well, the 1918 election shows that kind of polarisation mm. the, the, 101 years ago this month. Um, one of the, the last December elections um, um, held in, in, uh, in, in the UK um, where, where Sinn Féin won 73 seats out of 105 and Ulster Unionists uh, won, they won uh, 22 seats, Ulster Unionists, but the Unionists won 26. And uh, so you saw like the, the centre ground, be it the Irish party or uh, you know the more moderate Unionists, they didn't win any seats hardly at all. Mm. It, it was all uh, the, the kind of, the, 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 uh, a party that wants complete severance from the UK to a, to a party who wanted total integration with yes. the UK. And so that polarisation um, happened in 1918. That was then uh, followed up in the 1920 local elections where you could see Sinn Féin um, um, continue on with their success. And then in 1921, you could see the polarisation continue as well. The Parliament in Northern Ireland was established on the 22nd of June 1921. And as you know, you're on the border here with us today. Yeah, yeah. Um, there was an IRA attack on a train in County Louth. Yeah, in, in Adeville, um, they so, so basically, the, the, the Parliament was open, the great fanfare, pomp and circumstance. And the, the only thing was, only one, uh, par, or one community within Northern Ireland were involved in that party, involved in that pomp and, and ceremony. Um, the, the nationalist minority completely ignored the opening of the Parliament. The, the Primate of All Ireland, Catholic Primate of All Ireland, uh, um, Cardinal Logue, he uh, said he was busy that day. He couldn't go to the opening of the Parliament. In Fermanagh County Council, they actually took down the actual Union Jack because the nationalists had control of County Council. And in, in, in Adeville, basically a train was uh, um, with British soldiers and, and troops and uh, and horses. So there's about, I think about five soldiers were killed and up to 80 horses were killed in that attack by the IRA. So it was, yeah, it, it certainly was uh, Northern Ireland as an entity was born in blood um, and that continued for uh, um, for, for quite, quite some time. Well, we had the pogroms in 22, in 1922 and Belfast burned in places where people yeah. were uh, driven out of areas. A lot of people came south. You know, we talk about the yeah. 60s migration, you know, yeah. the late 60s when the troubles kicked off again, but there was a huge movement of people at that stage. Well, see, the, the sectarian violence in the north um, at its birth was from 1920 to 1922 and it was in different waves. So the first wave was the, the expulsion of workers from the shipyards and after they were expelled, um, many other um, firms in Belfast uh, um, removed Catholic uh, workers, as well as some Protestants. If, if, they were, if you were a socialist Protestant, you were considered a, a dirty, a rotten prod. So they were kicked out of work as well. Many of them had to move uh, either to England or to Scotland, but many of them moved to the border areas, particularly Louth and, uh, and also to Dublin. And you're talking about, like, the Irish government thing said it was, it was about 2,000 people who moved down to, to Dublin in... Uh, in 2022, but it was a lot more than that. You know, there was a, I think some people claimed it was about twenty five thousand between twenty three and twenty five thousand. Uh, mainly Catholics were displaced, and they moved all you know, over the border down to borderland places like Loud and to Dublin and to England and, and, and Scotland. Yes, a massive movement of people. The book is called Birth of the Border by Cormac Moore: The Impact of Partition in Ireland, and we're going to talk about that impact practically after the break. Birth of the Border is the name of the book. Cormac Moore is the author. He's with me on Late Launch. Now, let's talk about, in a practical sense, the impact of this for people. Sure, when the border was driven, so physically it drove a wedge between physical properties, families, you name it. Yeah, yeah. So, not initially, because... uh, Initially, for say from 1921 up until 1923, it was more of a, an administrative inconvenience. Uh, it didn't really um, affect people on a day-to-day basis. It was a decision by the Irish Free State Government in early 1923 
to impose customs barriers on the border that actually really saw the uh, the actual um, the the day to day effects um, become real and tangible for the first time. Um, it came in it came into effect first of April, and there was there was big queues, you know, on the roadways. People had to had a number of different stops. It's very cumbersome as well. You had to fill out forms whether you're uh, um, bringing goods over, and you had to you had to hand two forms. One for the Free State side, one for the uh, the Northern Ireland side. The revenue, the Irish revenue, looked after the Free State side. The RUC looked after the Northern Ireland side, um, it, and it became a, a real nightmare. Um, pretty much, and then in all of the roads, like there was a road in Louth that was no longer an approved road. So instead of a, a four mile drive, it became a twelve mile drive because you had to circumvent the actual unapproved road. Some unapproved roads were cratered so that people wouldn't smuggle uh, uh, goods over the border. So and yes, there was actually towns, villages, houses, farms that were, were straddling both sides of the border. L- look at the fisheries, for example. It's, it's a, that's, that's been a, a real uh, melting pot and a, a difficult a, a situation for decades. In that, no border was drawn on Loch Foyle or Loch Carlingford. You know, there is no nobody knows where the border starts or ends mm. on on either lock. So wh- where are the fish? Which side of the border are the fish on? You know, <laughs> are, are they another, a northern or southern uh, fish? So and that has caused huge problems. And there's been loads, particularly in Loch Foyle, the uh, there's been loads of uh, um, fights that, that went on yes. for decades, like from, from 1921 up until uh, up until 1950. Um, but yeah, so the, 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 the in terms of the tangible real effects of partition, it, it, it became very obvious from 1923 that. You're talking about different territories. So it's our yeah. fault. You've answered the first question I asked well, you. Well, the, the free state, well, we put James, in the... Yeah, James Craig said there was no partition before the imposition of customs barriers. Mm. And it was actually the free state's fault. Isn't that um, interesting? Now, now, the reason why you did it was to, to become fisc- um, fiscally independent from Britain, which was, you know, absolutely... Understandable right. as well. Absolutely, yeah. of course it was. Um, and also to, to make money for the exchequer. And they did believe, they did actually believe it would actually put pressure on the nascent northern jurisdiction. But most trade, with, even in Ireland, most trade was never north to south. It was always east to west. Mm. So it didn't really have any effect on a north-south trade. Um, but it did affect border counties. Yes. It did affect Louth. It did affect our, um, um, Down. It affected Down, uh, Donegal and Derry um, because their hinterlands were taken away from um, Absolutely. from from the imposition of customs mm. barrier. When you talk about organisations in the country, so the yeah. church was huge at the time. The church didn't fracture. The church yeah. remained in all Ireland. The churches, should I say, remained church, all Ireland. Well, well, it's obvious that Catholic Church was never going to partition. Yeah. It was totally anti-partition. And it, it was the one of the, the main leaders, particularly, it was the main voice of the nationalist community in the North. And many bishops and priests um, were really um, vocal in their opposition to partition. And uh, yeah, so that that was never going to partition. You know, it always met as a hierarchy in Armagh, and you know, it it uh, has still retained its all Ireland status. Mm. Possibly more surprising is that all the Protestant churches, the main three Protestant religions of Church of Ireland, Presbyterianism, and Methodism, they're they're all Ireland bodies too. Even mm. though most of their members are in Northern Ireland, and many of their members supported, um, well, they were certainly more anti-home rule regardless of whether they supported um, the creation of, of, of Northern Ireland jurisdiction. Um, but most of their machinery was still in the South, you know, in terms of education, instead of a synods meeting. So, and, and they had still a lot of friends. There were unionists in the South. And I probably, there, was still, now, there, there was a big uh, exodus of Protestants from 1911 to 1926. Um, there were the two last censuses, um, the one before and one after the, all of the War of Independence, yes. the First World War, the Easter Rising, but and there was a, there was a big drop off of uh, of actual Protestants in the Irish Free State territory, um, but the, the machinery of the churches remained in the south, and to this day they are all Ireland bodies. The, the actual one religion that was most affected institutionally was Judaism. 
it actually uh, divided uh, based on partition. Even though um, most uh, um, members of, of the actual the Judaism, in, in terms of organised in, in the in the religion, and they were actually uh, um, pro independence for Ireland and, and, yeah. and anti uh, partition. In the main, sport remained all Ireland as well, and it yeah. remains so today. But the big exceptions were athletics, where it ran deep and yeah. probably still does, and soccer. Yeah, well, my last book was the Irish Soccer Split, yes. and and in that, and, and I've done a lot of research on uh, on how uh, soccer was divided. And although it it happened, soccer divided in 1921, the same year as the country was divided. However, most the, the main reason for that division was uh, internal factors. The, the the people in in Dublin, the administrators in Dublin, believed there was a Belfast bias. They never got rarely got selected to play for Ireland. The uh, usually if there was a venue for a match, it was always in Belfast. The IFA Council was dominated by Belfast, as was its subcommittees. So they felt that uh, um, that they weren't getting a fair run, and they decided to to leave the IFA and form the FAI. They hardly want us back. Well, perhaps not after the last <laughs> week, anyway. But uh, I, I saw uh, uh, John Taylor was actually saying maybe there should be a 32 county uh, soccer body, which I was surprised to to, uh, to see. Uh, Tongue in uh, cheek. Maybe he maybe. was. Maybe he. Yeah. Maybe he was rising as, oh, as he, he, he tends to do on Twitter. You know. Don't mention so. rising to John Taylor. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Uh, what else? What else fractured the main ones? That well, a lot of government bodies did, and it, it was where. Um, so it's a lot of uh, um, bodies that had to uh, deal with different jurisdictions, so, and it was mainly the bodies that were set up after partition. So, if, if you were if you were a body before partition, it was unlikely for you to partition simply because it was easier not to partition, and it was, it was a bit of an administrative nightmare. And so, a lot of and it was like inertia as well, and just practicality, just like they had been established for years. Many bodies. Look at all the trade unions; most of them remained all Ireland bodies. Um, now, there was, there was one like um, there was a few kind of rare examples, like the pharmaceutical uh, societies um, wanted to remain an all Ireland body and give some autonomy to Northern Ireland, but the Northern government said, "No, you have to actually." Uh, um, divide the six counties, but in the Dental Association of Ireland, that's an all Ireland body. So there was there was a lot of uh, um, um, confusion. There was a lot of uh, different uh, kind of reactions and uh, uh, um, you know uh, different setups. From yes, the, security was obvious. You know, between north and yeah, south, yeah. that's a pretty obvious one. Yeah. But but within the security forces on uh, sport. Like you look at the, on Garda Shikana and the RUC, both have had very high um, high involvement in boxing, which mm-hmm. is an all Ireland body. And they used to cross the border for boxing events, competing against each other. And, you know, the, the, the Gardaí would, would, would go to Belfast, the RUC would go to Dublin. And that happened, you know, and, that's, and that happened for, for many decades afterwards. Um, whereas on, on security matters, there was very little uh, cooperation on, until later on. Mm. Law is very interesting in your book yeah. in that the North, as we call it, was left high and dry. There was nothing. They had to start from scratch. Pretty much from scratch. They, they didn't even have books. You know, they had no law library. They had uh, no courthouse. You know they, they and they they had obviously the, the northwest and northeast uh, um, kind of uh, jurisdictions. So they had uh, they had different uh, um, people working those circuits, particularly Dennis Henry, um, who was the first Lord Chief Justice. And quite unusually, he was a Catholic and a, and a Unionist Catholic at that, an MP, which was was some what to say common. But there, there were unions who were Catholics in the South and West, but it was very rare in Ulster for. Uh, there to be a union of Catholics, and he he was that rare exception, and um, being from Derry, and he, he had to set it up the machinery of the whole judiciary almost from scratch in 1921. Like yeah, yeah, basically the the, uh, the Government of Ireland um, Act created two judiciaries, um, and they they came into being in October 1921. 
and he had to set up a, a courthouse by by November 1921 and uh, he, he, he had to get a temporary one on Crumlin Road and using the Antrim County Council and it was not until, uh, you know the mid 30s that actually there was a permanent courthouse now the, the King's Inns the, the, the people who wanted to be a barrister still had to qualify through King's Inns in Dublin um, however the uh, the King's Inns decided to exempt certain people for fighting in certain conflicts um, from exams. Now, they were, the unions were fine with uh, people being exempt from exams if it was service for the Majesty in, in the First World War, but not for uh, <laughs> uh, conflicts against the, the British government. Kevin O'Higgins, for example, was exempted. And uh, the, so the the, North, the Northern Bar decided that they actually were going to leave... Uh, to leave uh, the King's Inns and the 925 they left and set up their own Inns of Court so so law became totally divided um, like the Law Society of Ireland um, that looks after uh, solicitors that got divided um, so yeah th- th- that uh, went in separate ways as well um, after partition There are many more aspects to the book and of course we're always limited with time here in covering it. I have to say again I really enjoyed it and it's a terrific read and what a gift this would make for somebody in your life who loves history. You've said it, Jerry. Yes, (laughs) and even if you don't love history, if you live along the border, sure there's so many people should have this book. It's called Birth of the Border, The Impact of Partition in Ireland and as Cormac said, there are many anniversaries coming up over the next few years as well. Congratulations on another wonderful work and it's available all over the place, don't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Pick it up anywhere. Cormac, a real pleasure. Thank you for joining thank you, Jerry. the show. Geraldine McCullough, thank you so much for the lovely card and the wee gift today. I really appreciate it. I'm going to talk about it on late lunch next week. Geraldine, if you're listening, Geraldine from Little Mills in Dundalk or anybody knows her, will you call in to 1850 Isn't it a strange way of passing the message? It's the best way. I'm sure I'll get her. Ring in, will you, and get, leave your number there because I want to have a chat with you, Geraldine. Thanks a million. Just to mention Autism Charity As I Am are inviting people and businesses in Louthan Mead to host coffee mornings to raise funds and support their hashtag all is calm campaign. They're asking those hosting coffee mornings also uh, provide an inclusive stress fee and autism friendly environment for everyone to enjoy. That's the type of environment they want at the coffee morning. You can hold it between the 9th and the 20th of December. So there you are, as I am. They're inviting you, more information from them and they'd love if you could host a coffee morning on their behalf. It's our final motoring feature of the year and you know him well, he's back with us for the month of December. Tony Connolly is here and also with us on the show today is Ray Leddy, Head of Marketing and Product at Skoda Ireland and Porrick White is here and he's here for a very special reason, isn't he Tony Connolly? He is indeed, yeah. yeah. And we're going to hear about it in a minute. First off, you have the life. I'm going to say it yet again. Where were you yesterday? Was it uh, yesterday or the day before? It was in France. And Don't what were you doing? Driving the new Peugeot to 008, yeah. What's it like? It's just like the 208 in so far that style-wise, it's very, very elegant looking. Uh, design, style, really, really pretty. Uh, really much improved. Different in its predecessor by a long shot. Larger new engines, petrol, diesel and electric. And that's that's the interesting one. Like They're not just putting everything on the one barbecue, you know. <laughs> and I was looking at the engines, actually. The 1.2, should we? you were telling us about this a few years ago, and here it is today, a 1.2 engine with what brake horsepower? 1.2 3-cinder uh, engine producing 155. Unbelievable. <coughs> Another one producing 130, and then there'll be one producing 100. The 82 version will be el- eliminated as such. Uh, then you have the 
the 130 uh, diesel. Big story over, I suppose, is automatic is making huge inroads. Uh, you're going to see that in the years ahead very, very shortly. And of course, the electric drives just like a normal car and looks like a normal car. So Peugeot all set fair for a fantastic oh, they're look, they're looking good, 2020 like, you know, or 201, as they like to call 201, it. 201, yeah, yeah. This yeah, little well. snazzy term for this new place in the year 2020. You're very welcome to the show. Good to see you again, Ray Leddy. What is this about? Simply older, still clever, please tell me. Hey, Jerry. Well, I suppose I, if I, if I wind the clock a bit, I'm working with this Skoda brand for nearly 20 years now. And in that time, I've seen a lot of people, especially in this dealer network, that have come and gone and, and retired. Um, I've stayed in touch with quite a lot of them because I've built up friendships with them over the years. And one of them, I suppose, that I probably stayed in touch with most was Park White because of the proximity where he lives. He's from Navan and I'm from Derek, so we would have met up for coffee f- over the years. And I suppose just in conversation uh, with Park, even though even though he retired, he still had his... Uh, energy uh, sharpness about him um, into his 70s he's uh, 75 now I hope he doesn't mind me saying <laughs> um, but even over a coffee we were discussing I said would you like to go back to work park and he says yeah I wouldn't mind going back and doing a bit, bit, a bit of work so I had a chat with some of the dealers about just this, this campaign Robbie Matthews and Drata has a chat with Robbie and said would you be interested in taking this guy back and he says we'd love to, to work with somebody like Park. Uh, I opened a conversation, spoke to other dealers like Peter Doran in Carmack Cross. How would this work for you? And he says it would work fine. We'd love to do this as well. And he took on another guy called uh, Dennis uh, Farrell, who, who is going to start with him as well. Another guy who's retired, 71, a mead man from screen. He was starting Carmack Cross again, uh, um, working with, with Doran Motors. So, and it's, we, we had a, a conversation with dealers across, the, across uh, the country, and the majority of them now are taking on a retired person that might have worked in, in their business previously or indeed um, some of them are actually going out and recruiting somebody especially to come and work in their dealership so it's, it's, it's a great campaign and it's something that really surprised us at how successful it's been that, that the dealers were really enthusiastic about it and taking people on and I suppose it's not just about t- taking people on um, Park is a real positive mind the guy there and I remember talking to a dealer in Sligo um, about a guy they were going to bring back and um, they said oh, he's a, he was a real character, and it says it says, but we're not going to really bring him back because um, he's faded a bit. Like he was a, a older age in the in the seventies, and I says, are you sure? Because we won't be really bringing him back, and maybe one or two days a week. And I spoke to the dealer principal there, the proprietor, and he said that you know something, this is exactly what this guy needs. Bring him back one or two days, give him a great lift. And, and I'm delighted to tell you that he's had to come back now as well, and he'll be working um, on one or two two days a week basis as well. So it's great for him as mm. an individual as well. So simply older, still clever. Well, let the man himself tell us uh, about himself and, and why he's back with you in in the new year. Porik White, you're very welcome to the show. Tell us a Thank little you. bit about you previously. Did you work in, in, in sales in your life, car sales in particular? Oh yes, car sales in, in uh, Navin Engineer Works though I'm in four dealers in Commons Road Cars uh, with, with Audi and Volkswagen and I finished up with Skoda in Navin from 2002 to 2010 So you've been out of work since 2010? 2010 I haven't been out of work Yes uh, I have retired since 2010 okay. <laughs> <laughs> Very important to clarify that let me say Why go back? Uh, it's a bit of a, what would you say, um, what's the word for it, Ray? Adventure. Adventure, yes, Adventure, to, yeah. to, to, to yeah. just go back and 
see what I could give. Uh, I found that in most places now that you go into, everyone is in a rush. If you go into a bank, they don't want to talk to you. Uh, if you go anywhere, they haven't got time to talk to you. Whereas I hope that by going back, I'll be able to go to people, chat with them, have a talk with them. I could talk to them about anything and make them feel happy in the place, that at least they're getting something in, in the premises. I can hear there. the cheers out there as we sit here because I'm sure people feel, a lot of people feel the way you feel and the sentiments you've expressed there. Um, how many days you go back for? Two. Okay. Two days a week. And that suits you fine? Oh, it does, yeah. 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 And of course, with all that vast experience in those other places as well, they know they're on to a winner here because you're, you're coming from the game, you've been successful there in the past. You know, for somebody, like you mentioned that you're in your mid-70s as well, the importance of, of, of having something to do. I know I said you, you, you retired, you didn't. You've been busy since you... Since you. Yeah, when you have 12 grandchildren, you, you're, you're always busy. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what I mean. That I, I, Jeez, I was, there's a lot of car uh, sales uh, yeah. there. I'm just thinking down the road as well. Yeah, twelve of them. Twelve yeah, of them, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. but look, th- th- that's fantastic, and and you can be busy with that as well. Um, the game has changed, you know, and and you know that, and even in the time you've been out. Yeah, I've seen it change a, a lot from when I started working up until up until now. Um, it has changed drastically. An electric. Electric. Uh, I haven't had anything to do with electric as yet, but I'm sure I'll, I'll find out. Yes, of course, it, of course, know. of course. So is this something that Skoda Ray is going to... Uh, you mentioned a, a couple of other... We know Peter and Carrick McCross as well. You mentioned Sligo there. Is this a, a Skoda-wide initiative in, in Ireland now, in, yeah? In Ireland, yes. We, we've started off... started in September, and the vast majority of it, 27 years, have either a recruit or a very close recruit in somebody at this stage now. So they'll have somebody like Porrick... Um, working on a dealership in January and February and January and February is particularly important for us because it's it's our busiest time of the year over 40% of the business are shoved into them two months uh, people in, in the dealerships are working from 7am to 7pm they're working six days seven days a week and if they could have somebody like Porrick that can come in and give them a dig out it'd be great for them as well and do I think we're going to sell lots of more cars from this I don't think we will particularly, but but I can promise you, anybody who comes into one of our showrooms and meets somebody like Park will definitely have a better experience. I know people are saying, and, and Tony, I'll say this to you, and, and the boys are here, well, come on, there's young people looking for jobs. You know, f- people like uh, Porrick have done their time, and why are they coming back? Well, and, uh, I, d- I think Porrick will answer for himself. He's not going in on a commission basis to start taking the, the meal off of that cornflakes away from the young people's breakfast table or anything like that. And we all know he's not, and Skodard and behind that idea either. But if you just think about it for a moment, like... I think it's going to be a doddle for the boys going in. I also just, the smile can't be faced when you mentioned Dennis going into uh, into sales also in Dorans. And I just thought that, do you know what Skoda are after creating here, like in the Navin area? They just like the, rub, the rumble in the jungle all over again. Like these boys, when I say it's a doddle, these lads know how to sell cars, you know. They sold cars when it was very, very difficult to sell cars. You didn't just have a pen and an audiobook and write it down. So it's going to be very interesting. This Mary's on to us from Delique this afternoon. I bought my first Octavia from Porig many moons ago. He's a great man to deal with and I'm absolutely delighted he's back with Skoda. Great brand and a great 
great initiative from the company. Love it. Mary, you better get into him. You know what I mean now? Come on, it's time for an upgrade there, isn't it? (laughs) What did you say, Boric? There's an envelope in the poster. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't pay her, I I, I promise you. Um, Tony, but, you know, you've been here earlier in the year. You brought two young women who are working now in Newgate, is it? Yes, in Newgate Moors, two girls, one Mercedes, one in Kia. And uh, as I say, there's room, there's absolutely room for everywhere. Everyone. It's just like the car market at the moment. People discuss is diesel dead and about petrol cars, about hybrid cars, about plug-in hybrids and about, of course, electric. Personally, we keep saying this, we'll talk about it in a few minutes, I'm sure there is space for everyone. I think it would be fantastic to go into a showroom and to see the likes of Porrick White in there and to be able to, to speak to him and to be able to find out details. And it's all about having time for people. And that's that's a lovely secret. A lovely, lovely secret. Parik, what's the key to making the sale? Come on, is it a combination of factors? I know you're a very pleasant man and you're, you're a man who people warm to straight away. Is that a huge part? Or trust, what is it? Knowledge, tell me. Well, I'd say probably the first thing you have to do is recognition. There, you have to recognise a person the minute they come in. If you don't do that, you're, you're gone because uh, they, they appreciate being recognised uh, and then you just go from there get down and get down to the level of the person that you're talking to or up to the level of the person you're talking to depending on what way you want to go Terrific. So, so there's the there's the gem of wisdom from 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 all those years. It's coming back to Skoda shortly. It's called simply older, still clever by Skoda Ireland. Let's talk about Skoda uh, since you're here with us, Ray. And from from your perspective on the coal face with Skoda, you know the whole talk is hybrid, uh, electric. The push down the road with this. Come on, tell us in reality for Skoda, where do you see this going? Yeah, there's, there's no doubt about it, Jerry. Electric is coming and it's coming very quickly. Um, is it for everybody right now today? Today, I, I don't believe it is. I'll give an example. Um, the last two days I was out lucky enough to be producing a TV ad and one of the, the camera ladies asked me for loan of a car. And I said to her, have you not got a car of your own? And she says, well, I do, but it's electric. And we were moving around on, on, on location. And just the electric car wouldn't have suited her because charge and charge and time and whatnot. So although it is coming, it is not for everybody right now. And that's down to the range that, that is available in electric cars. Um, and also that the charging times. And some people are not able to charge at home. It might live in an apartment or whatnot. It can be very difficult to, to, to charge as well. So, And then charging was um, free and, and that has been taken away now as well. So so the incentive has gone for, for, for that as well. But it's not for everybody right now. Uh, kind of stepping stone is hybrid and especially plug-in hybrid. Um, we are launching our first uh, plug-in hybrid. It's called a superb um, IV, we call it. It starts at uh, just over forty thousand euro, um, and for that, like you're getting sixty kilometres of pure electric range. So somebody living in Drogheda here could commute to Dublin if they could charge up work and, and drive back. So you have best of both worlds there that they have a petrol car and electric car all in one, and that's that's a great middle ground. Um, diesel, there's a lot of talk of diesel actually in decline. Um, we see it in school. We actually sold more diesel cars this year than we did last year. So look, diesel is, I suppose, until we have a viable alternative, diesel is still going to be around for a long time to come. I've heard people saying in the last couple of days about removing turf, uh, removing uh, coal from from um, the, fu- the, fu- the fuel supply, and that's not viable for, for many people. And just like, like that, diesel is trusted by people, especially in rural Ireland. It served them 
for agriculture, for commercial reasons. So diesel's going to be around for a very long time to come. Um, electric cars do come at a premium and hybrids do come at a premium. Like we all like eating organic food. Um, it does come at a premium. If you, want to, if you want to go that direction, you have to pay a little bit of a premium. At the moment, electric cars are heavily incentivized. There's a €5,000 SEAI grant. If that was removed by the government next year, it'd be very difficult to, to justify the cost of buying an electric car at this moment in time. Now, the cost, of course, will come down in a few, a few, a few years. Um, Skoda will launch its first 100% electric car in Ireland in 2021. Okay, so interesting to hear those viewpoints. Let's talk about your marks. You mentioned the superb electric coming there. New Octavia on the way. Uh, it's a bit of a yes. We probably won't see it on the ground until July, realistically. Okay. Um, in the, the challenge we have in Ireland is is, is, is supply um, in Ireland and across the world. It's got actually there's there's more demand from all over the world for Skoda products than they can actually supply. So there's always a challenge getting supply. But you won't really see the, the, the Octavia on the ground in, until July. Um, a car that we do have that is, is on the market now is the Skoda Scala. I think Park just mentioned it a little while ago. We've seen it in the car park. He really liked oh, it. I can tell listeners this man is way ahead of the posse in his new job that he's starting in January. He's telling Mr Ray Leddy all about this one. Go on. Go on, continue. Uh, the, the Scala, it's, it's, it's a... It's a hatchback car. Um, it comes in one litre petrol. Very stylish. Good big boot in it. Um, very good all round 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 a hatchback car. Um, Octavia didn't mention Octavia. Octavia there's there's really good. There's there's a really good offer on Octavia at the moment. Um, on the current Octavia with zero percent finance. So don't rule out the the, the current Octavia. Mm. Um, Superb is still going exceptionally well for us. Another new model we've re- launched recently is the Skoda Kamek which is a small crossover mm. type vehicle. And Tony talked about that car. I, I did, yeah. And like, looking at an SUV here, or a crossover as such, uh, it basically it's the same meaning, but sport utility is where people, a lot of people are going in that direction. And with prices starting at 21,300 up to 30-odd for the Kamek. Of course, it has Volkswagen underpinnings and a lot of Volkswagen heritage there behind it, which speaks very well of it. And uh, one of its main competitors, I suppose, will be the T-Cross. But it's into that category, even of the car I spoke to about uh, in France, so we're driving the 2008. So it's, it's got a fairly welcome addition now to have the trilogy of you have the trilogy now of uh, of SUVs. You have the the Karak and the Karak and the the Karak, the Kamek and the Kodiaks. Right, yeah. all Ks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So they are, yeah, all with the same type of ring to them. Um, just before, because time will be us reflecting on the year past and looking ahead, Tony. To to and we heard Ray with his assessment of of where it's going. The, the sales this year down. Well, sales are down, but that will improve. Hopefully, now with imports going to be restricted next year, that the the, the conscious uh, will go back and look look at the value that might be there in a new car and, and see can they purchase a new car rather than going up because people have been importing. If I keep saying that, above their means, they'll probably go next year and buy a car within their means. And what I mean by that is they can say, "Oh, look, they all have been driving." I'm just going to give you an example, just for the sake of say. Ford Escort. I know that's 40 years ago. But, and I'm going to up myself now and buy a Merck. But they forget that they've only so much money and spare in their wallet. And so when something goes wrong with the car, it's laying there in a forecourt and they can't afford to get it fixed. So, look, cut your cloth to your measure. That's what I always say to it. One other thing, just going back to Ray, that we mentioned there on the, the turf and the political correct, there's a lot of that going around at the moment. I would say don't push the Irish too much on it. Like it's one thing with battery cars, another thing with plug-ins, another thing we can't light a fire, another thing we can't 
that ate a bit of meat. So let them let, let them start going chuck and handy on it because what will happen is there'll be a huge turn off on electric and everything else, and and the people start putting chimneys in cars, you know. So <laughs> just remind us again, your car of the year for twenty nineteen was. My, my car the year uh, 20, I voted for different categories uh, by overall car the year I did vote for the Peugeot 508 mm. uh, and overall but I got the sole right remember I was telling you that twice yes. in those categories that was the first electric car ever to now to, the way I'm thinking now today I could change my mind the way I'm going on but I won't uh, the other other categories I also vote for the 3 Series BMW there and I vote for the for the uh, T-Cross Volkswagen in the small SUV category and I vote for the X3 uh, Audi in its category but the overall I went over to the 508 and it's uh, that's what happened um, an interesting comment there Jerry. I watched a person leave the car charging in a town then she had to be driven back to her home imagine all that hassle leaving the car behind it was raining it was just an absolute disaster and it's uh, part of the consideration and just I'm adding on to that comment there that you were talking about there um, Ray a few moments ago isn't it it's just that you know the infrastructure must be yeah. there uh, even talking to some of the guys who were driving electric cars they're experiencing they might go out and, and park the car and put it on charge and they come back and they find some other electric car and they've unplugged their own car and plugged it into their own mm. um, so, so at some stage in the future you might actually see that there, there could be fisticuffs at these charging points oh my guys God. Fighting, fighting over charging perish points perish the thought perish so the thought be done there be true for which uh, on, on the infrastructure and everything else there is so much work to be done mm. before it goes and they, you have to take into consideration people living in apartments and all this sort yes of stuff. Uh, we understand there's, all that there's so little uh, charging points yeah. in the country yeah. and you know I, I spoke to Ray about this uh, filling stations they have to have a licence every year to sell petrol and there is no reason why they shouldn't have to be able to have charging points in every filling station and if they were all made or in charging points in in the stations, there would be plenty of charging mm, points. Mm. Oh, listen, there's uh, so much to be done, isn't there? A lot yeah, done, yeah, a lot more to do. Anyway, gentlemen, I have to leave it there for today. Again, thank you all for joining me on the show. I wish all the very best to you, Porik White, uh, when you thank begin, you. Uh, when you come back to the business <laughs> in January. Uh, Ray Lady from uh, Skoda, thank, thank you so much for joining me on the show. And as always, Tony, thank you thank for you. your contributions to Late Lunch right through the year. We really appreciate it. See you in the new year. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. Liam, thanks for your comment. Liam has changed his tune. And you know what? In life, you can change your tune. That's perfectly acceptable. You don't have to have a view that you stick with rigidly, no matter what comes your way. I always believe in that. If, if something presented to you and it changes your mind, good on you. Jerry, I was a climate change sceptic, but after watching the documentary on BBC, Meet a Threat to Our Planet, aired on the 25th of November... The brilliant Liz Bonin, yes, our own Liz Bonin, points out how, in our quest for meat, we are causing major damage to our planet. The wealthy countries must pay Brazil to protect the rainforest. They want a decent standard of living and don't see the damage it's causing to the planet. That's an awful lot of us feel that way. We want everything so nice and so good and at our fingertips. Watch this programme if you haven't seen it already and make up your own mind, says Liam. Thanks indeed for that comment today. Drogheda Rotary, yes, the Remembrance Tree is back. 12 years it's on the go now. They've raised 145,000 for local charities. And this year, the Supporting Meals on Wheels, the Arch Club, the Irish Wheelchair Association and support for older people. Uh, the concept of the Remembrance Tree in the heart of Drogheda at St Peter's Church is to make a donation, write a remembrance message for your loved ones and attach it to the 
tree. They're attached with yellow ribbons to the remembrance tree and it's decorated, that tree, with heartfelt memories. It's brilliant. And then there's an ecumenical service held after Christmas before the tree is removed. It's from the 17th of December. The Remembrance Tree collections are happening at three locations in Drogheda. West Street, beside the tree, outside St Peter's Church, Tesco Extra on Denor Road and Lawrence Town Centre outside Marks and Spencer. So if you want to contribute and uh, put a memory on the tree, it's your opportunity. Well done to the Rotary Club in Drogheda. Up next on Late Lunch, don't have to remind you of the fires raging around Sydney in Australia. It's shocking there for people living in and around the city at the moment. And next, we're heading to Sydney for a chat with local boy, Odie Thornton. Yes, the awful fires raging in Sydney have been all over the news for quite some time now. And it seems there's no let up. I'm joined on Late Lunch this afternoon by Odie Thornton. He's originally from Carlingford, but living in Sydney for the last 10 years. Odie, good afternoon. Hi, how are you, Jerry? I'm very good, but more importantly, how are you? How bad is it, Odie, there? Oh, look, it's, um, it's pretty bad. Um, there's been a lot of smoke, obviously, across the city, I'm sure. Everyone's um, seen it on TV and stuff. Um, a lot of flights ground us. A lot of the ferries have been cancelled um, and just, yeah, a big thick blanket of smoke um, surrounding the whole city and all the suburbs. Um, it's pretty frightening, actually. Um, a lot of people that I know um, that work in the city have been sent home from work because of this. Um, the levels of toxi- toxicity that's existing in the air at the minute, it's over 200 times the normal. So it's pretty bad, like, and it's pretty toxic to be out in that sort of environment and um, the authorities have been telling everyone to stay indoors, obviously, because of this um, pollution, um, especially between the hours of 11 to 4 when it's at its hottest and stuff. So, um, yeah, there's still a lot of fires raging at the minute around the uh, suburbs, roughly about two hours outside the city. So, yeah, it's pretty frightening stuff, frightening stuff, yeah. Is this the worst you've experienced in the decade you've been there? It probably is, yeah, um, in Sydney anyway, because... Um, in 2011, when I was here about a year or so, I lived in Brisbane, and we obviously had the uh, floods up there. That was pretty bad. So I've had it pretty rough twice now. Obviously not right stuck in the middle of the floods in Brisbane, but very close to it, like just down the road. But even at that, I'd say, yeah, the smoking in the city at the minute is probably the worst. It's affecting an awful lot of people in a lot of acute ways. And, yeah, it's not great, but... Um, look, it's, it's it's not as bad today. It's starting to clear a bit today with the the way the wind's blowing. So hopefully this start of um, the clear up, as they say, um, a bit of rain wouldn't do any harm. But again, there's nothing being forecast at the minute. So we just have to live and hope that we do get a change in weather and change in conditions. And hopefully this uh, smoke clears off. Please God. Not to make too light of it, Oldie, but I'm sure you're in touch with home, but we've just had the wettest six weeks in history here, so we'd love to give you some of our rain and do a little swap if that were possible. Yeah, that would be brilliant. That would be brilliant. But look, um, yeah, there's, as I said, like the forecast at the minute, it's not looking too clever for us rain-wise. Um, the wind's obviously a big thing. Obviously, the ground's so dry and it's so hot at the minute that any sort of spark, like obviously the last few days, there's been a total fire ban around the city, as you can imagine. And yeah, there's, like you just have to live in hope, like, and hopefully that that either we do get a bit of rain or the wind changes direction or 
you know, with the help of God, we will get something like that because it's pretty bad at the minute. Like, you know what I mean? And people are pretty fed up with all the smoke and getting sent home from work and stuff like that. People missing work and just a toxic environment, like in a big thick blanket of smoke, like, and you can't see like pr- pretty much a couple of feet in front of you. It's, it's very hard to, to see things in front of you. So yeah, it's dangerous. Like it is dangerous. So yeah, we uh, feel for you. We really do from all these miles away. And we've been watching the images and to get a first-hand account from yourself, a local guy as well, is uh, tremendous to hear it. What is it a combination of? You mentioned, and we know this, there's been a huge drought and dry spell, no rain. Fires happen, we know, but it, how, how, where did this begin? Well, it's a combination of, like, obviously it, what the, what they call, like, um, Intense people intentionally starting fires like burning bushes and stuff like that. It's to a much larger scale than that. It is literally like it's just so dry and any sort of a spark, anything at all can ignite it, whether it be accidental or whether it be on purpose. It, that's how simple it does start because it's so hot and humid. Is or not hot, not humid, more so hot and dry. Anything at all is going to spark it, like especially out towards the outback. You know what I mean? And then once it picks up. The, the flames are fanned by strong winds, like, and the winds that you get, like, they're just brushing it down, they're blowing it down the coast, like, and it engulfs, you know, entire areas in a matter of seconds. Like, just to put it into context, like, there's roughly been 127,000 hectares of land burned in the Amazon. At the minute, all over Australia, there's been 2.8 million hectares burned and still burning. There's 3,000 firefighters um, fighting these fires at the minute. Um, in, in New South Wales alone, like in the state around Sydney, there's 87 fires that are burning out of control. Um, 500 alarms triggered in a daily basis, like in our apartment block there, like in the last month alone, there's been roughly about seven or eight evacuations with just the thick smoke that's coming through the aircon units, that these aircon units should be blowing the smoke back out and they just can't cope with it and they're setting the alarms off every day. So, that just sort of put, puts it into context a small bit of how thick this smoke is and how strong it is, like, and how overcoming it can be. So, like, that's what we're saying, like, closing doors and stuff like that, it doesn't seem to be enough. Like, the smoke's still getting in, setting off all these alarms and stuff like that. So, yeah, it, it's, 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 it's full on. Like, it is full on at the minute here. Tell us a bit about your uh, Australian uh, soiree. It began when and why did you leave and what are you up to there? Well, obviously, in 2010, I took the decision to leave home because obviously the recession had kicked in hard and work wasn't easy to get. I worked around Dublin myself and never worked too far from home, but obviously that all dried up, a combination of things. So I just took it upon myself just to make the trip over here. I I hadn't really much intention. I didn't really know what I was at, if I'm being honest. I just said I'd come over for the year anyway and give it a go. A year turned into two years, and the next thing I knew, my company was sponsoring me and... I had residency and then obviously work in the mind came up. I wasn't going to turn that down and had citizenship. And here we are 10 years later and I'm happier than I've ever been. Like obviously home's always home in Ireland for me. And I love going home and seeing family and friends. But at the minute, this is where I'm settled. Um, I'm at home next year now, next June, please God, to get married to my fiance Julie. Um, just want to say a shout out to her and a shout out to all my family in Cooley. Shout out to my youngest sister who's about to have her newborn baby, please God, any day soon, Kelly Marie. And, um, yeah, it's always good to go home and see the family and the folks. But, yeah, for now, I'm working full-time over here, and we're happy, and we're settled over here. So you never know what the future brings. You just never know. 
Is this uh, the toughest time? You know, Christmas in Ireland, you know what it means to families, their dark days, but the brightness of Christmas and the coming together. Is, is, is this the toughest time to be away? It definitely is. Yeah, it definitely is. We actually just spoke about this yesterday, myself and Julie, um, just with all the people that's going home for Christmas holidays and everyone finishing up. We all, everyone around this time of year, around the first and second week in December, everyone finishes up work in Australia and says, right, we're heading home for the month or the three weeks. And it's only when you see everyone starting to leave. At the time when people's booking the holidays, obviously you're like, ah, damn it, sure, we're going to have Christmas in Australia or Bali or somewhere hot, but as cold as it is at home and dark and stuff like that, there's no place like home around Christmas time, around your family and friends and everyone getting together. But look, as I said, it's only another five or six months we're home. Nice, bright weather. Hot day, hotter days, should I say, not hot days. Hot days, getting married. So there's, there's that to look forward to, plus seeing my new niece or nephew, whatever the case may be, and obviously all my other nieces and nephews, which I can't wait to see them either. Well, can I say, all these thousands of miles away, you've certainly lifted my heart as I sit here on the shortest days of the year. And I'm now even looking forward already. You're a brilliant motivator. But look, I want to say something to you. Uh, When you do come home, yourself and Julie, come in to me uh, and and we'll have a chat. Is that all right? I know you'll be busy with the wedding, but before you get into full throttle, come in and have a chat with us and we'll we'll talk further. We will, surely. Oh, that'll be lovely. That'll be lovely. And listen, is there anybody else you want to say hello to before you leave us today? Just want to say uh, hello to all my mates at home, obviously all my family, um, direct family, obviously to my brother-in-law, Michael Murphy, my sister-in-law, Amory Thornton, and hopefully my soon uh, brothers-in-law, Brian McKeown and Mark Allen. And happy Christmas to everyone. Happy New Year. Stay safe and I'll see you all soon. Odie, oh, you're a star and uh, stay safe yourselves in Sydney. I'm sure, like everything else in life, the wheel will turn, the smoke will clear and the fires will stop and continue enjoying life out there. And all the best to you all for this Christmas New Year and a very special year ahead. Thanks very much, Jerry. Appreciate the call. Thank oh. you. What a great fellow he is, and uh, thank you for joining us today on Late Lunch. That's a lot this Wednesday afternoon. It is the most wonderful time of the year, so says Andy Williams, and it'll continue tomorrow at half one on Thursday's Late Lunch. See you then. LMFM with your local mace. Going the extra smile this Christmas at the most wonderful time of the year. It's the most wonderful time of the year With the kids jingle belling and everyone telling you be of good cheer It's the most wonderful time of the year It's the happiest season of all With those holiday and gay happy meetings when friends come to call It's the happiest season of all There'll be parties for hosting marshmallows for toasting and caroling out in the snow The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors The 2020 Dacia sales event is now on at Blackstone Motors Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan Call in to see how shockingly affordable a new Dacia is in the new year 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.